Are you curious on how much your business is worth? Get your free no obligation offer from Open Store at open.store. The subscription market is predicted to grow to nearly $500 billion by 2025. Recharge is a leading subscription management solution helping e-commerce merchants of all sizes launch and scale their subscription offerings. Over 15,000 merchants use subscriptions powered by Recharge to grow their business and their communities by increasing average order value, reducing churn, and providing predictable recurring revenue. Turn transactions into long-term customer relationships and experience seamless subscription commerce with Recharge. Check them out at rechargepayments.com forward slash DTC pod. I moved to the United States when I was six years old. Um, so that was in 1990, right before all the kind of turmoil in Yugoslavia, which was then a big country that fell apart uh, shortly thereafter. So um, I, I grew up in New York City, in the New York City area, um, going to school at you know, New York City. And then I went to NYU, studied um, there for economics and philosophy. Um, so I am uh, very much a Serbian-American, but I think first and foremost, I'm a New Yorker. I, I actually, I, economics and philosophy, that sounds like such a good, if I could go, if I were to go back to college, probably not going to happen. But um, I think economics and, and philosophy are, are just such good picks. How, how did that influence you? Um, you know, in, it's such a broad spectrum there, too. Yeah, I feel like I, I picked those two because I didn't know what I wanted to do or what did I wanted to be in life. So I was, I was trying to go broad, but still useful. Um, and so, uh, I, I think the biggest lesson for me, um, coming out of college was like all these sciences, ideas, topics eventually converge. So by the, by the end of my like, senior year, like philosophy and, and, um, economics, we were covering like the same topics, talking about the same ideas. And at that time I was also teaching myself how to code, um, cause uh, I realized that that was going to be important for me later, later in life and realized like all of coding is just logic. So, which also ties into philosophy. A lot of philosophy is just, you know, language based logic. So it was such a weird kind of, uh, unifying theory of, of life that I came out of college with. So I, it, it felt good and, and it was quite useful and it gave me a, a little bit of confidence that I think I wouldn't have had otherwise. And where... After you wrapped up school, like I know you said you've been in entrepreneur entrepreneurship in New York for the last 10 years or so. So what are some of the spaces that you've worked in uh, leading up to launching Better and Better? Sure. So coming out of school, I kind of I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I did management consulting for a few years. Um, I worked for, for a company called PA Consulting Group. They're kind of like the McKinsey of, of the UK. Um, so I worked out of London, uh, out of uh, Mumbai in India, out of Singapore, um, traveled the world a little bit, working for big clients like Citibank, Pfizer, um, Humana Insurance Company down in, in Kentucky. So it was a broad 
extension really of my education where we were mainly doing strategy and innovation consulting. So we were, we were going to these big companies and telling them like, this is what's coming. Um, at that point it was the smartphone. The iPhone had just launched the first iPhone and the second iPhone. Um, so we were, we were taking a lot of the lessons that were coming out of uh, Japan, India, Singapore, and bringing them here, particularly around payments, around uh, utilizing uh, crowdsourcing and crowdfunding in general for innovation and for new products. And that's how I got the idea for my first company that I started after consulting, which is a company called Rocket Hub. Uh, Rocket Hub was one of the first crowdfunding platforms, um, kind of similar to Kickstarter and Indiegogo, but we were more focused on um, academic and entrepreneurial projects. So we were working with universities, we were working with Andrew Yang's Venture for America uh, to help entrepreneurs and scientists raise anywhere between a few thousand to a few hundred thousand dollars. And it was a you know the wild west of crowdfunding very early on, even pre-crypto, pre-everything. And um, uh, I was the CTO there. And so I, I, I leveraged the fact that I learned how to code a little bit to build the first product and manage the first design kind of development team that we had. We raised um, mainly angel funding for that company, so we didn't go huge in terms of in terms of fundraising. We raised a few hundred thousand from angel investors, and then we were acquired after about three and a half four years. So it was a it, I call that my MBA. My first startup was the the experience that I had that kind of made me realize like okay, I can do this. I could build things, and I can I can create something meaningful and something relatively big. We, at, at our peak, Rocket was helping to raise millions of dollars per month for entrepreneurs. Um, so after Rocket was acquired, I decided to start my, my second company, which was um, a little bit different. It was, it was a company called Mural. And the goal for Mural was to uh, combine art and technology to build a new, really a new platform, to really do what the iPod did for music for visual art and for digital art in particular. So we were building an actual physical digital product um, and we were connecting it to museums, galleries, uh, even individual artists from around the world. Uh, and this was like pre-NFTs, pre-all you know all the crypto art that's, that's happened over the last four or five years. This was 2013, 14, 15. And um, we were really building a whole platform uh, from hardware through to the cloud. Um, I was the CEO there, kind of the opposite. We raised $10 million from venture funding. We grew it from a napkin idea to uh, you know hundreds of thousands of units sold. And one of our strategic investors was a company called Netgear. Uh, Netgear makes routers, they make connected hardware. And so we were gonna go for series B um, when Netgear said, you know, we would rather acquire you at, at this point. So we negotiated with them and we were acquired in 2018. Um, I stayed there for a year to help integrate Mural. Mural's still going. It's growing. They're pushing it now, especially with NFTs. Uh, the idea of digital art frames for art um, are really popular. So people are really, really uh, uh, buying into it. But I decided at that point I wanted to do something new. And the idea for better and better had been in my mind for a while. And now was the time to do it. I had two startups in, under my belt. Now was the time to really do the thing that was the closest to me and, and the closest to my to my experiences and my passion. So what was the inspiration for Better and Better? Because I know you went from 
you know, from consulting into art and the intersection of art and tech. And now what better it better is you're going to do a better job of explaining it than I am. But essentially, um, you know, it's at the intersection of toothpaste and, and vitamins and health. Right. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what better better is and what where the inspiration came from? Yeah, I mean, it was very personal. So um, I mentioned I came to the United States when I was six years old. Uh, the reason I came here was because um, I had childhood cancer. So I was sick when I was a kid. Um, and my parents decided that the best way for me to survive and to live was to move to the United States. So for most of my childhood, I spent dealing with this, uh, being treated here in New York, uh, thankfully, after four or five years, everything was you know successful, and and I've been in remission for twenty plus years. Um, but there are some long term side effects of cancer treatment, especially when you're a kid. And one of the big side effects is is multiple vitamin deficiencies, nutrient deficiencies, things like that that you just can't make up for. And so I've been taking vitamins for 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 much of my life. In particular, vitamin D. I was diagnosed with vitamin D deficiency. Uh, during my entrepreneurial days at Mural, actually. And I, they gave me these pills to take. And um, in, in particular, vitamin D and some of the other uh, vitamins really are, are pretty rough on the stomach. And, and uh, they take, you know, you have, to, you have to remember to take them. You have to do it over and over again every day for it to actually take effect. And it, it, as an entrepreneur, it was like really hard to integrate into my life. So I realized, like, there's got to be a better way to leverage what I'm already doing, what what the existing habits of my life are to get even uh, more vitamins and nutrients and 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 benefit from. And so really the high level thesis of better and better is the idea that we can leverage existing habits to improve health and wellness and to in, in really improve longevity uh, for, for mankind. And the, the first product that we launched that that meets this criteria is a two-in-one toothpaste. It's a toothpaste that is clean, organic, cleans your teeth, uh, whitens your teeth, but also gives you a microdose of vitamin D and vitamin B12. Uh, and that's because when you put something in your mouth, not only does it kind of swish around in there, but it also is absorbed through the capillaries and the the, the tissue in your mouth through sublingual, so below the tongue. And transbuchal through the through the gums and the and the cheeks. So we created uh, a two-in-one toothpaste that delivers these vitamins in a kind of a microdose format, but becomes really really powerful because most of us brush at least once or twice or three times a day. And so it's this recurring existing habit that helps us uh, get better and and have more vitamins and nutrients in our life. Um, and we will continue to roll out new products that leverage existing habits like brushing your teeth, like, um, you know, freshening your breath, like putting hand cream or, or soap. So that, that's what we want to do is to build a multi-product company around this big idea, this big thesis. Yeah, that's amazing. And in terms of the, the founder story and you having a personal relationship with this Kind of problem that you're solving. I think that's such an important piece of it. And it's not just like, oh, let's take toothpaste and throw some vitamins in there. There's a real use case that you were solving for. And I'm sure that this can solve the, the same problem for tons and tons of other people out there like you. Um, so that kind of leads me into my next question. So um, I know you have some exciting news 
that you guys are, uh, by the time this episode comes out, that you guys are about to drop um, in regards to some funding you picked up. And I thought of a very interesting topic that we get asked about a ton and that you know people are very curious about is raising a seed round and being able to fund a company like you've done. So clearly you've got the technical chops, you've got the venture-backed experience um, to run a company, and that obviously I'm sure plays into some of what you've done. But having being fresh off a funding uh, round, a seed funding in this case, how why don't you just tell us a little bit about your process, um, where you were at when you raised the funding, how everything went, who you guys are working with, um, and then we can kind of get into more questions after that. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, we'll be we're announcing um, closing of our seed round um, in um, now, <laughs> um, and um, and the, the, we, so far we've raised about four million dollars total. Um, a little bit of that was pre-seed, and that's rolled into this seed round, of course, kind of with convertible notes and all all of that. So really, the the structure for better and better was um, we have a thesis. We want to prove out that thesis, and once we prove out that thesis, we can raise seed. And so we raised pre-seed, um, mainly angel investors, early on um, when in 2019, early 2020, um, to, to prove out two big questions. One was, can we do this? Can we formulate and build a toothpaste that actually does what it needs to do with your oral care, but also delivers vitamins and nutrients? Um, and the answer to that was yes. We, we went into the labs, we worked with a few different biochemists and, and, and chemists and formulators. Um, we probably went through a few hundred different uh, permutations of the product, and we were able to create something that combined vitamins with also um, uh, additional components that help you actually absorb those vitamins. And the second question that we wanted to answer from the pre-seed uh, money was um, how will the market accept this or will the market accept this and we 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 wanted to create let's let's do it let's roll it out let's create and actually manufacture some units so we produced about 10,000 units and sold out that first batch d to c directly through our website and a little bit of amazon as well so mainly d to c um, through the web web uh, platforms such as our website and Amazon. And once we had both confirmations that we could create a formulation that works and that we could actually sell this and people wanted to buy it, we were like, let's go for a real seed round. And so that was kind of, I would say, the summer of 2021. So at the end, kind of middle end of last year, uh, we said, let's go for seed. And that's when I hit the ground in terms of fundraising, in terms of um, um, you know, looking for lead investors and looking for partners. And, um, you know, you know, we had a team, we had a product, we had revenue, uh, not a lot of revenue, but meaningful revenue enough to show some traction. Um, so we, we went to the market and um, it was a very interesting experience. Um, I think the traditional VC market um, is pretty trend driven and is, is, you know, what's the, the, the shiny, you know, object that that needs to be to be grabbed and 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 leveraged. And I think right now those trends veer towards more uh, crypto, um, NFTs, um, traditional, you know, SaaS, uh, and also e-commerce uh, supporting SaaS. Right. So things that don't necessarily 
bring end product to consumer, but are more infrastructure plays. So that was kind of the general feedback. A lot of VCs weren't even like they were just saying we're not doing products at all. Uh, we're not doing D to C product. So I, I had to go through a meaningful amount of probably I would say fifty to hundred different um, conversations with different individuals and different VCs um, until I spoke to uh, the fund that ended up being our lead investor, and that's a new fund uh, called Fifth Quarter Ventures. Um, they're actually a fund focused on investing in Serbian entrepreneurs, both in Serbia and abroad, the, the Serbian diaspora. And so, um, since I'm Serbian, uh, I, I, I was uh, kind of a prime example of what they were looking to invest in. So they were able to anchor our round and to establish the terms. And after we had that kind of lead investor willing to to stand up for us. We filled out the round with some really interesting and meaningful investors. Uh, some of the investors include um, uh, Dreamers Capital. So Dreamers Capital is a, a fund started by uh, Will Smith and uh, Kaisuke Honda, so the famous actor and famous soccer player. Um, and they, they they invest pretty broadly, so they still do D2C, they still do uh, SaaS, they do crypto, they do a lot of different things. So they, they, they saw the potential of what we're doing here. And then for the rest of the round, we filled out with individuals, we filled out with, with more kind of um, smaller funds and smaller, uh, smaller uh, participants. But, you know, it's... D2C is, is unique. It, I think it, it, it's similar to my experience with hardware when I was with Mural, when we were fundraising for that. It's like it's a smaller subset of venture and individual angels that invest in D2C. So you just have to go through more leads, more conversations, more pitches until people start getting what you're building and until you find the right partners. I, I actually wanted to touch on that because I don't think we've had many people that have gone from CTOs to, to DDC founders on the podcast. I think, um, you know, I think Kyle from Taika was um, in, in tech. He was one of the ones that come top of mind. But like, you know, in terms of the process itself, um, like what specifically was different in terms of sort of, you know, the conversations that you were having to investors, what, were there any, you know, patterns and questions that you were like, oh, okay, like, you know, I, I wasn't getting these questions when I was doing the tech company in terms of, you know, the valuations, like, um, in terms of, you know, proving out predictability and revenue, etc. Yeah, so it's interesting. So my first company was Rocket Hub. That's a crowdfunding platform. Really, it's a marketplace, right? So that's, that was a marketplace play. Uh, and we've got all traditional marketplace uh, questions like how are you going to get buyers and sellers? How, how are you going to get um, um, kind of um, uh, costs of acquiring those two sides of the marketplace down? And how are you going to monetize? Basically, how are you going to grow in a profitable way, um, knowing that there was going to be some sort of network effect built up? Over time, so that 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 was like the the, the idea for for Rocket Hub, and as I mentioned, we mainly did angel investors, so it was relatively easy to do. Um, then my second company, Mural, I think is actually a good in between because it's it's an electronics product that we are selling mainly D 2 C at first, uh, plus a cloud based um, marketplace for art on top of that, so where people can acquire and 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 sell art um, as, as well. So uh, it was kind of like a middle ground where people were asking us about the hardware in terms of what are the unit economics, what does the supply chain look like, um, what are the distribution channels, and also, of course, CAC. So how much 
it does it cost you to acquire these customers? But it was still, the idea was still around um, how can you get these customers and then monetize them over lifetime value perspective around the marketplace and around subscription that you're building. And, and, and so that, that, that made a lot of sense. Hardware is the, is the kind of the Trojan horse and the software and the content is the long-term um, um, value that you build with the customer. And then with better and better, um, you know, there is no software. There is no marketplace. It's very much for now um, a uh, product-driven, um, um, uh, thesis-driven D2C company. And so uh, early on, um, when we started Better and Better, we realized that like we had to focus on a few things. One is to have a unique product that is unlike anything else. There are 2,000 toothpastes um, on Amazon right now. Uh, that's a lot of different choices for customers. So for us to differentiate and to be better, it, we needed to provide value beyond just clean teeth. We even needed to provide value beyond just natural toothpaste. We needed need to provide value beyond uh, eco-friendly packaging. We do all of those things and we give you a, a micro dose of very, very important nutrients such as vitamin D and B12. And in the future, we're going to roll out other nutrients that could be delivered um, in, in this way. So we really have to stack the product for the value to be clear. And then we need to, we needed to focus on subscription. So most of our customers right now are subscribers. So they provide a recurring revenue element to our product. Um, and because of that, we can start thinking of our customers from a lifetime value perspective. And once we are able, we were able to show uh, investors that it's not just about a one-off purchase, but it's a unique product that provides for lifetime value. Um, that's when the light bulb started clicking in investors' minds. And they're like, aha, there's, there's a multiple here to this company and to this product that goes beyond just selling one-off you know, widgets to people in, in, in retail. So that's, that's, it's, it was really kind of a mindset shift uh, that helped us fundraise over the last five, six months or so. Yeah, one interesting thing, um, Vlad, about that and subscription and how it plays into everything is the idea of you guys are at the intersection of, um, you know, a toothpaste, like a, a disposable health product, but as well as a nutrition product um, with the vitamins and everything. And in terms of, when, when you have a nutrition product built into your delivery method, your toothpaste in this uh, sense, you've got that idea of routine built in almost even better than if you're just a, a toothpaste, right? Because if you can get a customer who is using the toothpaste, but they're using it and they're getting a utility beyond just the brushing of the mouth, but also getting their health routine out of that, that's something that you're going to, that the customer is going to stick with and actually lends itself better to subscription than you know, just subscribing to a Crest toothpaste every, every month, right? Absolutely. And, you know, we've, we've been in market for a year. We, we, we had V1 of our product. We just launched V2. So new formulas, new packaging, but we have a lot of data from V1. We know that people, you know, are sticking around. Um, our retention rates are, 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 are quite high actually, because I think it's not just clean teeth that they get but they get to feel better. Um, and, you know, vitamin D and B12 are actually very um, felt deficiencies. Like if, if you lack those vitamins, you feel it in your mood, you feel it with your energy, you feel it with your just overall immunity as well. 
So all of these things are quite um, experienced, particularly by people here in the north northeast, where we don't get a lot of sunlight um, uh, to get that vitamin D in our in kind of to compensate for for lack of it in food and otherwise. So um, when people start using it, our products, um, in particular the vitamin um, uh, formulas, they quickly like feel different, and I think that double feeling of clean teeth and I feel better. Uh, cre- even even kind of fosters that flywheel further and and pushes that routine even further. The other thing I love is I know one one of the biggest things for products that are like in the health and the nutrition space. One thing that you're constantly trying to fight as a subscription business is the idea of non-compliance. So if the customer isn't actually applying it every single day, taking their supplements, they're not going to feel the benefits. So I think the toothpaste is an amazing way to get around that non-compliance because everyone's brushing their teeth every day. So you kind of, it's a genius two-in-one. I I love that. Um, One thing I wanted to circle back to in regards to the funding, I know you mentioned you raised uh, like an angel pre-seed, et cetera, before going into your actual actual venture back seed. Um, So just in terms of like, like how much did you raise and what were some of those milestones that you put out? Like, had you, had you done anything where you like, I'm going to raise a little bit of capital to go test this hypothesis and then we're going to go raise, or, you know, did you start contacting toothpaste suppliers and different people before you raised the first cent? Like how, what was that process like? How much did you raise? And then, um, you know, what did you do once you had that money in the bank? Yeah. So the, the pre-seed, um, was about a million dollars total. It took. It wasn't all at once. It, it was kind of on a rolling basis in the first six months of our venture uh, in late 2019, early 2020. So that um, was mainly driven off of reputation. So because I had been successful in two startups previously uh, and because um, my co-founder, Jerry, um, he was also our COO and my fellow co-founder at Mural. Um, it was like bringing the gang back together, right? It was, it, it, there's this team that knows how to execute. Jerry is our kind of supply chain, logistics, um, um, uh, really vendor management, manufacturer management. He, he did that with, for us at Mural with electronics. But before that, he was at Fresh Direct, which is the big grocer here in, in, in the New York tri-state area. And he helped to launch some of their white label stuff. Um, he helped to launch uh, some new vendors. So he knows how to deal with CPG and consumable CPG, um, um, particularly from a, from a negotiation and, and supply chain perspective. So it, we had experience. And then our, our CMO and third co-founder, Mary, she was uh, she wasn't a co-founder at Mural, but she was one of our first marketing hires, and she helped to launch our subscription business. And again, that that idea of subscription was embedded from the beginning because she knows subscription and she knows how to foster subscription. Uh, the three of us were the three co-founders that were pitching to investors, and really, a lot of our early investors were investors who were already in our previous companies. Um, and because they were like they were happy, they made money. Like sure. Here's 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 some more money, kid. Um, and so I, I think like I don't think everyone necessarily has that, obviously. Uh, so I, I think maybe it's useful for also me to talk about like how did I raise money for my some of my early ventures, like Mural. I wanted I wanted to ask around that, right? Like, so it seems like the credibility allowed to build the team, which then 
even increase, you know, the kind of the trust and, and, and the risk reduction for the investor. So like for people that, you know, uh, that are earlier in their careers, that it might be, you know, their first up at bat, how can they build a team? How can they attract those people to reduce that risk um, from from investors? Yeah, I think and absolutely. So initially, yeah, I think for 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 mural in particular, because I was going from marketplace to electronics, a lot of our early success was we cobbled together um, a group of advisors that were so valuable for us early on at particular moments in time, and we were willing to give equity for meaningful advice, not just you know talk to you once a quarter, but actually work with you every week for a few months to build something. So we had um, an advisor who helped us with engineering and industrial design. We had an advisor who helped us with sourcing and finding electronic uh, suppliers in in Asia. Um, so um, the idea of uh, credibility came from these kind of supporters that we added. And I, I, we were willing to part with equity in a meaningful way to, to make sure that this would happen. So I think a lot, I, what I find in a lot of early founders in particular is like they, they hoard equity quite, you know, vehemently, which of course you should do. But when you have not much experience and not much cash, well, the only thing you really do have is, is, is equity and, and, and energy, right? Your personal energy. So I think you can't really sell your personal energy, but you can sell your equity or offer your equity in, in exchange for support. So the early advisors that we had at, at Mural really helped. And then early employees, because we were building a multifaceted company with electronics and software and hardware, um, all the early employees had meaningful equity too, like more than, you know, you know between one and 5% of the uh, equity per, per early employee for the first three or four employees. So we were really willing to part with a meaningful amount of equity to build out that credibility really fast, uh, which was quite useful. Um, and, and then I, I think finally after that, like prototypes, like prototypes, if you're building anything physical um, and anything uh, even remotely tangible, you know, software as well, like the sooner you get to a prototype, the sooner the world views you as a credible, legitimate entrepreneur. Uh, because uh, that prototype just changes the conversation from like abstract, conceptual to how are you going to do this? How are you going to build this into a mass market product? How are you going to make this into a, a financial success? So I think by hook or by crook, like one way or another, you have to, you have to get to a prototype um, and so with, with Rocket Hub, we, we built a, a little website. I built a website for Mural. We cobbled together, together a prototype from existing electronics from around the world and from existing products. And then for, for better and better, e even for, for better and better, we had to get a quick prototype early on to drive uh, further investment and to drive further interest from, from our users and from, from our investors. So I think, um, you know, Advisors, employees, and, and prototypes were the key for me uh, in all three ventures. Yeah, Vlad, that that makes a ton of sense in terms of like how you would approach it and really getting a product into market because everyone's got an idea, and especially in 
CPG and D2C, like you need a prototype, but you can't be really, it's, it's going to be really hard to just raise on an idea. And I think the fact that you're a multiple time entrepreneur and even you had, like you were able to raise to some degree on repu- reputation, but you also had, had a ton of traction and a ton of product development and lab testing and all this before actually being able to pull off a seed. So that just goes to show like the competitiveness of the landscape when it comes to bringing on venture funding. Um, so I guess my next question is, um, you know, then after you had that, after you guys have demonstrated success, you have your whole team, you've got the gang back, you're, you're seeing some traction, you're seeing some subscription growth, you've got, you're proving out your hypotheses and, um, you know, now you're, now it's time to go raise the round, right? What are like, what were the signals that told you, okay, now it's time to go pull the seed together one and two, um, what were, you know, what were the challenges and what were the, like, I guess, what were the biggest challenges in raising that round and how did you, um, you guys overcome them? Right. And, and, and I guess when I say challenges, I know that's a little bit broad. I'm, I'm more talking to maybe general challenges. Any founder in CPG or D2C is going to hear like the general objections like you had mentioned before. Oh, it's not a platform. Oh, it's um, you know, we've seen this before. Oh, the margins aren't great, et cetera. So what did it really take for you to um, to be able to get get it over the hill in terms of uh, your, your better and better product? Sure. So uh, I think in terms of signals, um, so I mentioned the fact that like we actually built the product and we were starting to sell the product. Like those were two major signals. But like the third really kind of key signal was we started to see our cost of acquisition go down dramatically um, because we were learning how to sell this product. Um, in particular, we were learning to use words like microdosing. We were learning to use words like you know nutrients and nutrient delivery. Um, things that don't often get used when you talk about toothpaste and oral care, we, we were talking about in our advertising and, 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 and kind of general, uh, product positioning that was starting to drive down our cost of acquisition in a meaningful way. And that means that to us, that meant that we were hitting like a nerve of some sort, you know, uh, it, there is something here that is legitimately, um, um, strong and wanted by the market. Um, in terms of challenges, I think um, uh, when, when I went out, started to pitch kind of August, September of last year, it was more of a bottom up pitch. So it was like, these are our products. Uh, these are the new products we're gonna launch. And um, you know, it, it will be a big, com- big multi-product company. And that didn't really work for me um, early on. We weren't getting the traction we wanted with investors because um, it was too, in a way it was too small. Um, I, I think when you look at VC and, and particularly kind of, um, early stage VC right now, every investment you make has the same floor and that floor is zero, but not every investment you make has the same ceiling. Some ceilings are 50 million. Some ceilings are 500 million. Some ceilings are 5 billion, et cetera, et cetera. So most, I think early stage investors are really looking at the ceiling and then saying, can this team do it right? And when we were pitching just products, they weren't really seeing that ceiling. They were just seeing, okay, this can go to zero. This, you have a good team, but like, it's just not big enough for us. It's not grand enough. It's, the idea isn't huge enough. And so I pivoted our pitch kind of September, October 
to more of a um, a top down pitch. And really, the top down pitch was became around you know we have a ton of habits in our lives. We are going to reinvent those habits and make them meaningfully better. And it's that top down pitch that you know it's like semantics in a way, but it really reformulates how people think about what we are building in a way that's like oh you know all of our habits you know oh i do a lot of things i brush my teeth i shampoo my hair i put hand cream on i put lip balm on i shave my face i you know all these different things started to be in the realm of possibilities and once you start adding it up it's hundreds of billions of dollars in terms of market potential and that's when it clicked like holy moly you are reinventing certain concepts in a very, very meaningful way, this could be, this is a venture backable, uh, a venture backable business. So it was like that repositioning around uh, from bottom up to, to the top down and really showing investors what the ceiling can be that made a huge difference for us in terms of the seed round. Were there any companies out there to compare, you know, the potential to the market? Because I'm thinking, well, like, how do you map out the revenue opportunity of like getting into every person's habits. Um, and I'm like, you know, is, were there any companies that you could sort of use to map out the potential existing? Yeah. We used a few examples. I think, you know, there's some big examples in supplements and, and nutrition. I think the whole um, um, kind of revolution around gummies over the last decade showed that, personal supplements and nutrition aren't static. They're actually changing and evolving all the time. So companies like Goalie and, and, and a few others that have really hit mass market appeal with, with their gummies, I think was an indicator that, hey, different form factors can be used. Um, now, of course, gummies you still eat and you swallow, but it wasn't a pill anymore. So so that, that I think that was one example. Another is Athletic Greens. Uh, I think Athletic Greens is, uh, you know, it's a powder that you put in in liquid and you drink it. Um, again, different form factor hitting a, a, a really powerful uplift in terms of market adoption and market traction. Um, so I, I think we were using some of those examples in terms of supplements. I mean, in terms of like radical habit changing stuff, there aren't that many. There aren't that many examples, I think, of, of what we're trying to do. And I think that's both scary and and um, and, and cool at the same time. And I think that's what, what is also attractive to a lot of investors is like, if these guys make it, if we make it like we, this could be quite large. Um, so I, I think, again, it's re really thinking about that ceiling. It's thinking about how big can this be if they say even if they do a portion of what they say they're going to do. And so I think, um, that kind of reframing really helped. Awesome. And and one one more thing I wanted to talk uh, before we transition to like, you know, now what's after the seed is how did your team change um, from the pre-seed to the seed? Uh, what is it the team that you pitched investors that you're going to need on the seed now, you know, to, to get to the next milestone? Yeah, I, I, we've kept things relatively lean. So I, I think that, that that's been really um, important for us in terms of like the internal team. So, you know, it's myself, Jerry, who's our COO, and Mary, who's our uh, CMO. We do, we have an, a designer, we have kind of certain capabilities that we keep in-house uh, and are really good at those, like, like the brand that we upkeep now, the, the, the concepts, et cetera. 
um, are, are, are biochemists and chemists. They're not full-time employees, but they are exclusive to us and, and, and they help us to build what, what, what we need when we need it. So we have certain capabilities we've held in-house really tightly. Um, I, I think the biggest change that will be required between um, pre-seed and seed will be around scaling sales and distribution. So it will be around like, hey guys, this is neat. You have a, a great business that you're, you're growing online quite successfully, but really to reach millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of revenue per year, um, you're going to have to hit multiple multi-channel approach in terms of sales and distribution, and you will need to do it with a, with a sales and, and marketing team that is capable of doing so. So uh, I, I think a lot of investment will be around like expanding that sales, marketing, uh, distribution um, uh, set of capabilities because um, that's what's going to be needed to compete Still, most people buy their toothpaste in stores, right? They still use, you know, CVS, Walgreens, Target, Walmart, um, um, all these Costco, Sam's Club. The majority of, of toothpaste and oral care is still sold in these stores, and also personal care in general. Um, so, for us to compete, we're going to have to expand into those into those areas. Hey Vlad, one question that I had was, um, I know you talked about how you guys think of yourself not as a toothpaste brand, but as like a habit brand, right? So um, I'm sure a question that you'll get when you're going through VCs is talking about like defensibility of the business, right? And one question that would pop in your bread, your my head would be like, okay, if you're, so we prove out the thesis that we can do, uh, we can put vitamins in toothpaste and people start using it. And then you might say, well, if that's catching on, you know, wouldn't Crest or any other big toothpaste brand, wouldn't they love to in, in inject their, you know, whatever you're doing into theirs and go, go, go quicker. So in terms of defensibility, would you say that you're thinking of it from a, from a habits perspective in the sense that you're generating products that like a crest would never even touch because this goes beyond just toothpaste or are you, um, you know, how do you think about that and how do you answer that question when it comes up? Cause I'm sure that's something, you know, other founders yeah. think about. Yeah. I think there's, there's short-term moat and there's long-term moat. And I think short-term we are on this, in this gap between oral care and supplements where Crest, Colgate, Sensodyne, you know, they're oral care. They prevent cavities. They treat gums, et cetera. Or supplements, you know, they give you stuff to swallow and you swallow it and that's it. Or drink or whatever. We are in the middle. So I think there's a short-term kind of sea that has parted that I think will give us maybe a year, two years of, of time until the, the big uh, behemoths start to think about it. Um, so like we have to run as fast as humanly possible in that, in that period. So that, that's kind of the short term, I think, mode is it's just like the combination of product characteristics that no one is thinking about. Long term, I think there's three levels of the mode. One is the IP. So we are developing formulations and IP, like real IP, like, uh, chemical formulas, stuff like that, that. You know, either we can protect as trade secrets or maybe in some cases we can patent as well. We have one patent already for some of the packaging stuff we've done. So really thinking about IP in a, in a meaningful way. Um, and as we build new products, always think about IP. Like, how can we protect this? How could we, how could we keep it as an asset? The next layer of the long-term moat, I think, is, um, is the brand itself. So better and better 
Uh, we've invested a lot in the concept and the brand, copyright, trademarks, all of that. Um, it's a brand that lends itself to universality. So this could be a big idea. This could be a big brand as big as, you know, P&G or Johnson Johnson or some of the other, um, you know, big, big Colgate, Palmolive brands that have existed for, for a long period of time. So I think that brand is going to be really, really key for us. And it will uh, kind of lend to the IP a, 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 a known name. And then the third part is the customer relationships. So it's kind of what you were hinting at. It's that uh, idea of habits. So if we make our customers happy with toothpaste, uh, we believe that they will buy other habitual products from us. Um, the first product that we'll be launching later this year is a breath freshening product that is somewhere, it's kind of a combination of mouthwash and a breath spray. So you spray it in your mouth, you can take it on the go, it, it kind of cleans up your mouth, but it also gives you a dose of vitamins and nutrients when you do it. And so it's basically how do you take better and better on the go when you can't brush your teeth? That's the first kind of product that we'll be launching as a secondary product. Um, and then at, uh, we do have a toothbrush and floss, but those are more complementary as opposed to kind of anchor uh, products. So after the spray, we're looking at other habitual products. So I mentioned hand creams, shampoos. Um, shaving cream, anything that touches your skin can be a delivery mechanism in particular, especially if it's touching your skin over and over again. So multiple days at a time over and over that could be realm for our product innovation and product development. So the idea that our customer isn't just a one-off purchaser, but is actually a long-term relationship, you know, it, that is really, really hard to do well, but if we can do it well, I think there is a meaningful moat there where we can have millions of customers reordering on a consistent basis. Yeah, I think the, the big takeaway here for other potential founders and people who might be listening in would be the fact that you're, you're not just building a toothpaste brand, you're taking a product that came from toothpaste and applying it to something that's bigger than toothpaste, right? Um, one example uh, of a founder we had on recently was Greg Frontier from New Wave, and they're a you know they're a coffee brand which is all about like mental performance. And so logically, if you're thinking of it as a coffee brand, you're like, oh, Greg, what new coffee products are you launching? Whereas he's thinking of it like, yo, I'm not even thinking about like launching a coffee store. Or coffee. He's like, I'm about mental uh, mental clarity and efficiency. So let's create other products that aren't related to coffee in a similar way, how you guys are thinking about it in terms of habits and nutrition. You're saying, hey, the skin, the mouth, there's all these great places that are part of habits and routine to get uh, to optimize your health. Let's tap into those and let's create products around that instead of saying, let's build the next big toothpaste business. So I think that's like the big takeaway and that's the innovation that you guys are really tapping into. And we have, a, there are a lot of habits that we have. There are digital habits, right? There are physical habits, where we go, how we go, the, you know, what websites we surf, what apps we open. Like the idea of habits is very large and um, can, can lead to many, many innovations. I think um, in a lesson for, for founders listening that may have, it, may have not raised and are looking to raise, I think it, this is just a testament to like how much time and research and effort it takes of, takes of thinking about your product and how it can, it can be implemented into a lifestyle and into people's lives. Um, and it takes doing the research because oftentimes the real opportunity is discovered after putting in the time thinking of how big it could be. You know, you, you like when you mentioned earlier, anything that touches your skin can be a delivery form. Like 
that's massive. And, and you probably, you know, oftentimes you don't even realize how big it can be when you're first starting out. You just unlock these layers of sort of opportunities of how big it can really become. It's exciting. So Vlad, I guess my real question is when, when are we getting the, uh, when are we getting some melatonin in the toothpaste? Um, it's funny you should say that. Um, it, we're looking at other beyond vitamins, right? So uh, melatonin, collagen, um, um, we're looking at obviously CBD, THC. Um, there are ideas around even potentially prescription. Like if we wanted to go hardcore um, medical, we, we, we could do that as well because you know, there are drugs now that are being delivered under your tongue, like painkillers and, and, and beyond. So um, the idea of a very personalized um, uh, kind of set of products that fit into existing daily habits, that's that's where we're going. That's on the horizon. Yeah. And I, I think it's so exciting to tap into. I know personally, like in, in, in my personal life, I actually take a lot of my medicine or whatever. I take it sublingually or just in under my lip because, um, you know, it, it may not pass directly through the liver. It's, it's quicker delivery and it works. Um, I, I was listening to podcasts with, uh, Matt Walker, who's like the neuroscientist who's like all about sleep. And they asked him, they're like, Hey, like if you're struggling sleeping, like, what, like, what do you recommend? What are some of the best ways to just like quickly fall asleep? And he's like, he's like, honestly, like I'll take like, a little bit of like a Valium or something and like just take it sublingually and it like knocks me out and like that, you know, and, and it's just interesting to see that like you guys are building on that frontier and it's not something that really has been done. Like you don't go and see medicine where it's saying, oh, delivery mechanism, shove it under your tongue or put it under your lip. Like it's not really a thing and toothpaste is just such a great um, foothold for something like that. So, um, I guess as we're we're starting to wrap wrap up here, what are some of the like now that you guys have announced your funding, like what is immediately right? Like what's what's next on the plate? What do the next couple months look like for you guys? And where is your focus? Where are you guys going all in on right now? Yeah, so immediately, which we already have done, is relaunch the formulas. We got a lot of feedback from our customers, like make it a little mintier, make it foamier, make it uh, put a little more vitamin D, put a little, um, you know, it was very direct product feedback um, where if you're building software, you can implement gradually. But if you're building physical D2C products, it's much more of a step system where you're kind of, you step and then you're flat and then you step again and then you're flat. So we took that step right around the funding funding round as the money started started to come in. Um, so we relaunched our two main SKUs. One is Purity, which is just clean, organic toothpaste. It's like the baseline. It's the, it's the kind of the, the foundation off of which the other toothpastes are built. And then we relaunched our Energy Toothpaste, which is the vitamin B12 and vitamin D3 toothpaste. So that that's the most those are the two most efficient vitamins that I mentioned they're very much tied to immunity and mood and and energy. So that's why we call it energy. Um and um so so the next step for us will be to launch a couple of additional toothpaste varieties um with uh particular vitamins and nutrients in them. Um we'll make that announcement in a couple of months. So we'll be launching probably at least two more 
varieties of, of um, uh, deliverable mechanism or deliverable nutrients within within the toothpaste itself. Um, and then after that, it's the spray, which I mentioned. So it's it's how do you expand beyond the bathroom, right? You're now we're sitting in the bathroom. How do we how do people take better and better on the go? So that's that's in terms of the product roadmap, like immediately over the next six six to nine months. Then it's it, like I said, it's sales and distribution. Um, you know, our website ramping that up further. Um, building a little bit more of a multi-channel approach in terms of marketing for the website. So right now we've mainly done digital, um, you know, the, the Facebook, Instagram, Google, etc. Like how do we go beyond that in, in terms of, you know, potentially out of home advertising or uh, over the air? Um, there, there are a lot of options now for, for a D2C brand um, that can diversify our top of funnel and brand awareness. Uh, and then after that, it's retail. Like we are actively speaking to, uh, you know, a dozen or so retailers right now, um, the idea of a truly differentiated toothpaste is really enticing and it's a premium toothpaste too, right? So it's a premium differentiated product. So, uh, I think getting one or two really good retail partners for the end of this year, because those cycles take a little bit longer is going to be a primary focus for us. So it's, it's growing the product category, growing the product portfolio along with the sales and distribution. Uh, capabilities. Awesome. And Vlad, for our audience that's listening, where can they, where can they find you? Where they can, can, where can they connect with you? Are you on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram? Where, where can we find you? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, for Instagram is probably the best for better and better. So it's just become better and better. Um, so become better and better, um, for, buying the product just better and the better.com. Um, um, I think it's, you know, I think the word that's where it starts too. like the number one thing I want to get across is this is a good product that everyone should buy and, you know, put it to the test, try it because it's, it's quite, quite powerful. Um, so that, that's that. And, and then we're also on Amazon too. So if, if people like the one click stuff, uh, and prime, um, I think Amazon is a really interesting channel because it um, it's still more people search for toothpaste on Amazon than they do on Google, which is a crazy like number or stat for me. But it kind of makes sense, right? If you're going to search for toothpaste, why do it on Google when you can just go to the place where most people shop? So that's 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 another place to go to. Awesome. Well, I'm sold. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I, you know, for me, it's interesting. One of the biggest value proposition is that I always love this concept of like, you know, you don't manage time, you can create time and you can create time when you blend two habits together. So like, you know, I became such a freak of audiobooks that now it's hard for me to read books because I'm like, I'm doing audiobooks while I'm cooking, while I'm doing dishes, while I'm doing all this other stuff. And so um, I'm creating time. And so this really feels like, you know, it's one of those things that, um, you know, it's going to hit it big when it comes to that. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's efficiency, right? Like we're all busy. Um, even though, you know, many of us are still at home. Um, the idea of like getting a two-in-one benefit in something you already do, it's kind of a no-brainer. It's wonderful. Totally. Awesome. Well, Vlad, it was awesome having you on. Excited to follow on with your journey. And uh, thank you for being here with us at DTC Pod. Thank you.